you got to grind away for years and like put in hundreds of miles to improve a couple seconds. And business is oftentimes the same way. You just got to like figure out something that works a little bit and then just grind away at it to, to make it really work. This is the Adventure Sports Podcast, where we talk to athletes, adventurers, and business owners from around the world of adventure sports. Whether you're climbing Mount Everest, starting a bike shop, or getting up off your couch to take your kids hiking for the first time, we want you to have the motivation and inspiration you need to chase that next adventure. The Adventure Sports Podcast is brought to you by Camp Crate, the leaders in fully planned self-guided backpacking adventures, as well as backpacking gear rental. You can check them out at campcrate.net. Before I knew better, I used to carry cans of food into the backcountry um, like a doofus. Uh, obviously, I don't do that anymore. I use freeze-dried food, and I really only use peak refuel, uh, the best backpacking food, the best freeze-dried food in the world. And if you keep listening to the episode, I can show you how to save 20% off an order if you want some. You know, if, if you're wanting to build a career out of, uh, you know, out of your love for the outdoors or your love for adventure, um, if you're in the middle of it, or if you've just got an idea, uh, today's episode is really stinking cool. Uh, we interviewed Jordan and Amy Jones, the founders and the owners of Powder 7. It's like an online, uh, and st- it has a storefront, but it's mostly online ski shop, uh, which was kind of a... Uh, really a uh, new idea when they first started and uh, still it's pretty uh, unique in what they do but we get to hear exactly oh sorry my phone just went off <laughs> we get to hear exactly where the idea came from how it was starting it how young they were how how basically bootstrapped it was operating out of their garage like we know so many awesome companies start in garages or in basements and uh, just and it was it was fantastic. I really hope you enjoy. Um, it, it it is more business based, but we do get to talk about uh, Jordan and Amy's uh, running careers, skiing careers, and uh, triathlons as well. And they're just a fascinating couple. Great chemistry. Great episode. Um, also, I just wanted to say thank you to our newest patron, George. George, thank you so much for supporting the show. It means a lot to me, my wife, and our growing family. And uh, to the listeners of the show, thank you so much. And uh, if, if you'd like to become a supporter for the show, you can become a supporter for as little as a dollar a month um, or up to, you know, however much. Uh, but if you, if you reach the $5 tier, uh, we're going to start doing something new now. We want to start interviewing patrons. So you become a patron for at least five bucks a month. You now have the ability to be interviewed and uh, be on the show. And we're going to do a little uh, area of the show for patrons. And uh, if you've got a story to tell and you want to support the show, become a patron and you will will really get you involved then. So uh, thanks so much again for all the people that support the show. It means so much to us. Um, if you'd like to support it, you can go to patreon.com slash adventure sports podcast. Anyway, enjoy this episode and have an awesome weekend. And uh, send us an email or give us a call after the weekend. Let us know what you did. Uh, I'm going to be hiking. Uh, nothing too crazy. My knees are still bothering me pretty bad. Uh, but I'm going to try to get out there, climb climb a few feet, and get some views. All right. There was one last thing. Um, 
Jordan shares this story where he uh, was in half Iron Man and beat Lance Armstrong. <laughs> it it was a great story, and I'm going to share the video link in the show notes. So if you see a link to YouTube, that's what it's going to be. So check it out. Anyway, here's the episode. Welcome to the show. Um, it is Jordan and Amy Jones. Thanks. We're stoked yeah. to be on. Yeah. So yeah, I know y'all are busy, so I, I just want to hear... Um, kind of the the background to Powder 7, but first, um, if y'all can tell us about how y'all met and both of your respective, like, uh, adventure sports backgrounds. I know y'all met um, running track together, and then, Jordan, you went on to triathletes. Amy, did you do the same? So could y'all get into that a little bit? Sure. Go for it, Em. Oh, me? Okay. <laughs> um, so Jordan and I met in 2003, um, I was a freshman at Boston University, and he was a senior. Uh, we were both on the track and cross-country teams. So Jordan ran the 5K, I ran the 800. Um, yeah, and then about a year later, we started dating. So that's that. And then right after he graduated, he moved to Colorado, and I still had three years of school left in Boston. So we were long distance for three years. Um, and then in that time he was doing triathlons and, uh, yeah. And then when I moved out here, I, I did triathlons for like four years or something, but never to the extent, uh, or level that Jordan did. Yeah. We both ran track, but I think we both always loved trail running. So track's kind of straight and narrow, but yeah, we both loved running trails whenever possible and exploring in that sense. So then once that gig was up. So like we, yeah, came to Colorado and loved being out here in a more adventurous setting. One of the first um, ways Jordan and I bonded, um, I was actually thinking of this today as I was riding my bike and it was kind of cold, was we had this like stretch of single digit days in Boston and um, Jordan and I both like had gone out to run like in Boston, there's not many trails, but there's like this place, um, the Emerald Necklace. So we had both run out to the emerald necklace and like had kind of seen each other and like whoa wait you're out here running like to jamaica pond today when it's three degrees out i'm like oh hmm maybe there's something to that jordan guy but yeah so definitely like a bond over like just making the most of outdoor experiences even when you're yeah in this concrete jungle that yeah. is austin wow so so why denver jordan um, my mom used to teach at Boston University, and then my last year there, she went over to University of Denver, so then I was out here the summer before my last year of college, and then as soon as I came out, it was like, oh, I'm definitely going to move here after college, which I'm kind of surprised by, like, it's it's one of those rash decisions you kind of look back on, like, I, I graduated, and, like, a week later, I just packed three bags uh, brought them, checked them in as luggage on a flight, and that's all I brought, and that was it. And surprising to me because I have, I grew up in Medford, Mass, and I have awesome friends still from high school that live out there. So I had awesome friends. Life was pretty good out there, but I don't know. The mountains were kind of calling, and I listened to that call. I get it, man. I mean, my wife and I moved here from Florida, and uh, you know that's total two different worlds there. So we. We understand. That's funny. Uh, Boston, you said Boston University? That's right. Oh, yeah. We just interviewed a guy from there, a, a professor who's 
pretty hardcore athlete, just outdoor stuff, does these like crazy middle of the winter triathlons out in the woods that he organizes really? himself. Yeah, his name's Jay Atkinson. Sounds awesome. Mm. Okay. Yeah, he's. Uh, I don't even know what he teaches. I think it's something economics or something. But we just had him on a wow. couple weeks ago. That's cool. That's, that yeah, that's what we studied at BU. So really, yeah, we got we gotta. We'll listen to that for sure. Yeah, for I sure. Know. Oh man, that'd be so cool. I'm sure you all have some sort of connection. So so yeah. Awesome. So so you you came out here, um, Amy. You quick you, not quickly, but three years later, you followed and y'all were able to ride that out that long distance. I know that can stink at times being long distance. <laughs> so what did you think when you came and visited? You were like, wow, this place is way better than Boston <laughs> weather-wise. Yeah, no, I mean, instantly I felt, I loved Boston. I still really like to go and visit Boston, but I did feel a little claustrophobic there. Um, so coming out to Colorado, I felt like, yeah, it was the great wide open and there was just so many opportunities to do all the things that I loved. Um yeah, obviously, you know, when I was younger, that was centered more around running, but skiing was a big part of that. So the first time I visited Jordan, we went up and skied Winter Park, and that was just such an incredible experience. And I had grown up skiing, you know, once or twice a year, it would be a really big deal. My parents would take my brothers and I up to the Poconos to ski, and I loved it. And I would beg and beg and beg to go ski in the Rocky Mountains. Can we please go ski Colorado? Um, cause I grew up watching Warren Miller movies and my parents were like, we're not going to go ski Colorado. Like we can barely make it down the bunny hill. Um, so I, that was always in the back of my mind was this, like just, I was so drawn to Colorado. So to finally get to go to Colorado and my mom famously said, you know, you don't have to date someone to go to Colorado. You can, you know, you can just go to Colorado on your own. You don't have to, you know, date this boy just to go to Colorado. And I'm like, no, no, no. I really, I really like him. Like, I'm not just doing it to go to Colorado. <laughs> and that's not my end to Colorado. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, no, I'm doing this on my own accord. And I really like Colorado, but I also really like Jordan. <laughs> that's awesome. So, so was it what you thought it was going to be skiing out here? Or was it like this? This is it. This was what I was hoping for. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I was not a very good skier. Um, I still have a lot of room in, for improvement, but I think it was just like the, there's just something to the mountain air and just getting up above treeline and seeing as far as you can possibly see. There's just something really cool about that. And yeah, I don't know, just the runs. I just would, they felt like they lasted forever. And when you're used to skiing, like I don't know, 500 vertical feet in the Poconos or whatever it might be. It just seemed so expansive and so awesome. So yeah, it was totally love at first visit. That's awesome. So yeah, you're, you're admittedly, you have room to improve with skiing, but, uh, run a yeah. ski shop, <laughs> which is funny. Yeah, <laughs> totally. You know what? I find that to be the case a lot of times with people that are in, you know, run stores. It's like, because it's two totally different set of skills. It's like, well, business skills are totally different than athletic skills, but you got to at least have that passion for it or that desire to want to, want to do it. Um, and I think it's nice to approach it from that way too, because, you know, our customers aren't all expert skiers either. And for a long time, you know, we've been doing this now for 11 years and for, I'd say the first 10 of those years, um, this has been a very recent revelation. I've really struggled with the fact that I am not 
an amazing skier. I'm not doing the most extreme lines. My skis are very rarely leaving the snow. And if they are, it's probably an accident. Um, but I'm just, I'm trying to keep up and I, you can still really love something, but not be an expert at it. Yeah. And it kind of ties into our ethos of powder seven where it's like, we really try to not big time people. So it's like, if you come in and you might be someone helping you who does key a ton and they're a badass, but they're not going to big time you if you're a beginner and you're just starting out or you've only gone a couple times, you know, like they're going to help you help you out, make you feel fine about it. Cause in my mind, there's nothing worse than going to like a, a gear shop for whatever it may be like bikes running ski gear and, and getting big time by, by people. Yeah. It, it's really daunting. I'd have to say, cause we're, we're, we're familiar with that as far as not being from here, but falling in love with these sports and then coming out here to pursue kind of the, the big, big versions of each of those sports. A lot of these shops are, uh, they, they don't make it very approachable. They're like, Oh yeah, you gotta, you gotta be at this level. There's nothing out here for you. Um, so I do appreciate when people are like, nah, you know, you start out small, just like all of us did. And then you grow yep. into that. And, mm-hmm. you know, it, the most important thing is getting out there and trying it and having a good time, not being, you know, a Red Bull sponsored athlete, <laughs> you know? Exactly. Yep. That's what we're all about. Yeah. Yeah. That's totally. awesome. So, so before we get too far into powder seven, I was going to ask, uh, I, I saw this video, um, of you, Jordan, when you were still doing professional uh, triathlons, you there was a finish line. It was Lance Armstrong coming around a corner, <laughs> and then all of a sudden, here comes this dude out of nowhere. Which I didn't know this because I've seen this video <laughs> a lot. And there comes yeah. I've seen it in a meme before. <laughs> That's amazing. And here you He's come to pass Lance Armstrong and give a little like celebration fist pump right as you cross the finish line and now you can't tell from that angle but you you did beat him in that that half uh iron man right i did i got i beat him by like an inch yep you beat lance <laughs> armstrong by an inch that is crazy uh, i'm undefeated against lance <laughs> <laughs> me too <laughs> yep <laughs> yeah, it, was a, it was a pretty ridiculous day it was the 70.3, so the half Ironman mm-hmm. US championship. And it's a big race, lots of good pros. And then it was Lance's first season coming back to triathlon. So he just left cycling. This was his, I think it, it was his third race. So he'd done like 70.3 Panama, he'd done 70.3 Florida. And it was like, it was awesome when he came over to triathlon because. You know, it's not the bigger sport. And then suddenly he comes over and he's racing pro. And it's like, we go from very little to all of a sudden, like ESPN's there and there's all these cameras around. So for us pro triathletes, it was, it was, it was a godsend at the time, you know? Wow. And this is before the whole, the whole doping controversy, you know, right before, yep, yep. a few months before that. So we were thrilled to have him. And he was a badass. I mean, he was a good triathlete. So, so yeah, that day he he was a sick swimmer. I mean, he he so he got out like lead pack out of the water, and then if I recollect, he got he had a big lead off the bike. So I saw him. It was a three lap run. I saw him on the first lap, 
And I was like 10 minutes behind him at that point, way behind. So it didn't even cross my mind that I could ever catch him. And then I'm working hard. And then the last lap we were mixing in with the age groupers at that point. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 So a, it's a the lap run, what, like four or five, four miles lap or something. Three mile lap. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So first couple laps, it's just us pros. Everything's super clear. You can like see where you are. You can see the next person ahead of you. So then last lap, it's, it's just a mess because there's all these age groupers out there. And I was working super hard. I mean, I was crushed. It was a hot day. I was just crushed by that point. But then with a couple hundred meters to go, suddenly I saw this guy. I thought it was all age groupers ahead of me. But then I see this guy go into the finish shoot. So I'm like, oh, my goodness, that's a that's a pro. So I just start going all in at that point to try to get that one extra spot. So then I come around the corner and then that's where the video (laughs) happens that you can see. Like he's I don't think he sees me coming. I had just seen I just realized that I could catch him. And I didn't even realize it was him right away until I was like right next to him. And for me, it's like I was, you know, like a fledgling pro. I also worked full time. So, hell, yeah, I was stoked to. uh, (laughs) Yeah. Were you a cop at the time? Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to think now. I think back then I had already left being a cop because this was like this was 2013 or 2012. Oh, yeah. You had powder seven by that point. I was five years. But it also top. meant like a bigger payday, like better. Like there was a lot. It wasn't just like one random spot. There was a lot. You yeah, gained a lot, a lot with that on. one spot. Yeah. It wasn't just feeding land. That makes a lot of sense, actually. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah. It, so then I, I passed him. And then it, it was just, it was just funny because it was so unexpected. And then like Amy had come down. So we're just drinking beers after the race and like laughing about it. <laughs> and no, no, no ill will towards Lance, like you know. <laughs> did you get uh, Amy? Did you see that happen? Oh yeah. What I did you think right when there. it happened? Where you're like, oh my god. <laughs> it, it was hilarious, but then yeah, I think like the funny thing was then like people started like texting Jordan about it, be like, I just saw Jordan on PTI, and I don't know, like, it was on ESPN, and yeah, that's I mean, I, I saw it on TV. Was, that was the funny part where, yeah, it was like totally his 15 minutes of fame. That's so funny. Did you get any flack for that? Yeah, some people did give me shit. Uh, yeah, people were, most people were like cool about it, but I definitely got some, some haters, you know? <laughs> oh man, I bet it's, <laughs> but like, you know, I totally get it. It's, it's, a, it's important. Every second counts in that. And if you have a chance to, I mean, be Lance Armstrong. You, I, I, you got to take that. You just got to do it. It's like a yeah, exactly. pivotal moment yeah. in life. You got <laughs> it. it's something you can put on your resume forever. <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah. But I'm always, always fighting for those extra inches out there. <laughs> I mean, when when you're at the top of the game, that's what it's about. It's all about inches and ounces. And uh, now that's just so funny, yeah. man. Because I, when you said when I saw that link, I was like, yeah, dang, that's. That's Jordan. I had no idea. I remember seeing that so many <laughs> times and thinking that was just crazy. And on the video, I'll, I'll do. I'll put a link to the video if, if you want me to. But uh, because there's, the person recording it was like, "Oh no, oh no!" <laughs> when it happened, 
I know. It's, it was it funny. funny. It was so yeah. funny. Well, cool. So, so, so you have you have since um, now that you beat Lance, you have since retired from professional <laughs> triathlete triathlons. Correct? Yeah. Yeah. So I raced triathlons for eight years, six years as a pro. That year I beat Lance. Actually, that turned out to be an awesome season. So I went on from there. I won the New York City Triathlon, which was biggest race I ever won. I won that again the next year. Went to like the high V 5150 World Championship. So I had a great year. But then I was just, yeah, I just, uh, I don't know. I'm all about taking stock of life and not doing things out of inertia. So Amy and I talked about it and we kind of hit the point. And even though I was kind of still on top of my game and still probably had a bunch of years left to go, I was just, I was like, all right, this is my last season. Like in two months, I'm done with triathlon. So, so what, what, what's the world like for a professional triathlete? Is it, I mean, obviously it's not going to be the glamor of like an NFL star because of the size of the sport, but yep. is it pretty tough to make your way? It, it definitely is. It's only gotten harder too. Like I was actually there when I was racing, I was doing mostly Olympics and halves. And that was almost like the glory years of those distances. So yeah, I don't mind being up front. Like my best year, so like New York City, I won that. That was eight grand for the win there. And then a few thousand dollars from sponsor bonuses. So like like a great day like that, maybe make 12 grand on the day. I think that year I pulled in about forty four thousand dollars in race in race prize money and then sponsorship. Okay. But but it's tough. I mean, that was like like everything came together that year. Like I won a bunch of races or I was like second at like a big race, like like I just like off the cuff decided to do Boulder seventy point three went up there cause, just because I could drive there. And I was like, oh, I'll just do it. It's there. And then had an awesome day. Got second behind Joe Gambles. But like second at that race, with, I think was like five grand, you know? So it's like that one year, everything came together. Um, so so it's not sustainable is what you're saying. And, and if it's, it's almost like feast or famine, it sounds like, because oh, you're not... It's hard. Yeah, I mean, if, if you can't really got, probably go out there and just enjoy it because you've got to, if you got to feed mouths, especially, it's like, I have to place. I have to place high. I can't sit yeah, here and absolutely. look at this view. I've got to freaking look at this road and focus. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Like, it's, uh, like, I always enjoyed it. I like the travel. I love the racing, but there is a lot of pressure. And, like, what I noticed too is, like, from a training standpoint, like, I would, I would like go and kind of have to do this workout that day, that workout that day. And that it's like, you know, if a friend is like, Hey, I want to go run 12 miles tomorrow. I'd be like, Oh, like I, I have to bike tomorrow, you know? So yeah. that's the part that kind of like graded at me after a while. Like every day was so like kind of dialed in to do this or that. And it's, it's almost like year round. Like you almost never get a break. So yeah, like I said at the beginning of the episode, I used to carry cans of food into the backcountry, and uh, I know there's a lot lighter things to do, but uh, there's just a lot of options that aren't good for you or either too heavy, um, and that's why I really do uh, use Peak Refuel now. Um, 
they're a new backpacking food company. And I say backpacking food, really, it's just uh, freeze-dried food that you can use for anything. I've actually eaten it for dinner before with my family uh, because it's real food. It's not, it does not taste like backpacking food or hunting food or something that you're only going to eat in the backcountry. It's, it's delicious, high uh, in protein, uh, nutritious. It is going to refuel you. It is filling huge portions. And I really encourage you all to give it a shot. At least try it out. Uh, and that is peakrefuel.com. And if you want to get 20% off an order, uh, use the code ASP20. And that's capital ASP and then two zero. Now back to the episode. It's hard, hard-earned money, I'm sure, um, just because of the amount of time and effort that goes into it, plus the travel, plus the chance of not winning or injury or something, you know, and then, then you're yeah. just, hang that is tough. So it, it's good it, it's, to, to have a, a career besides that, and I, I'm sure that's what nearly every single person does other than the very few, very, very few that are able yeah. to carve a living doing it. Oh. Well, um, I mean, I'm super happy that I never committed 100% to racing because, yeah, I think I think some because some guys do that, but then, I mean, that's tough. Then if you race for eight years and that's what you've been doing, you know, you don't have much to fall back on or like a skill to really fall back on. So it it, it was hard because I'd have to like get up early, work out, work, do another workout. You know, so it was it was a grind, but I'm definitely happy I did did it that way. Interesting. So, so you know, it that that is a a hustle, and it is a grind, and it is a uh, a gamble to try to yep. make your way doing something like that. And you say yep. that you're glad you never committed a hundred percent to it. Um, yep. But you y'all as a couple did commit a hundred percent to another gamble that i would say and which was yep. uh, in powder seven so you know you guys saw maybe the possibility of gap in the market for an online based ski shop so so what what led to that well, like what where did the conversation start where did the idea for powder seven start and why don't you go ahead and just explain what is powder seven why you guys are different yeah do you want to explain what Powder 7 is name and then I'll <laughs> Sure, I'd be happy to. The history? Cool. Yeah, so uh, so Powder 7 uh, is a ski shop, um, but we're not just any ski shop. So we're about 75 to 80% online, so e-commerce based, but we also have a brick and mortar presence. So, and the remaining 20 to 25% is in person here in Golden. Um. We run everything from one location, which is really cool. So, and we're at full service. So, um, any piece of gear you could possibly need to ski, um, as well as any like service you would need. So dunes and mounts, um, and all of that as well. So, uh, yeah, we have a staff of about 30 right now and that's our peak for the winter. Um, we dial the staffing back a little bit in the summer, but yeah, we've grown a lot since it was just um, a few of us starting out. Um, but yeah, that's the basic gist of Powder 7. Yeah, and, and all we do is... Yeah, all we do here. is ski. Yeah. We, so like anything you need to actually ski, we got it. Um, but we don't even carry snowboards. Really? 
So yeah, we try to be super focused on what we do, super try to always be awesome what we do. Um, we try to have staff that knows all about what we're selling to customers. Um, but yeah, for that reason, we, we don't switch over to anything in the summer and we, we don't even sell boards. Yeah. But within skis, we, we try to cover like everything. So like we try to do like the super high end current year thousand dollar plus skis for the for the woman that's going to Aspen to like last year's skis that are like discounted for people that want that stuff mm-hmm. all the way to we sell a lot of demo skis too that's a big part of our business so we'll buy demo fleets and then people can come in and get the like last year's skis sometimes barely used already with the, the bindings on them wow so do, do you think that the ski so what, what led you to this idea then what what made you see that this was uh this need in the market was not being met it, it yeah, there was no business plan. So it was almost like, <laughs> oh, <laughs> like my side hustling. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. My business side, plans are overrated. There's a, there's a quote I like that totally applies to our business, which is, uh, it's like driving at night in the fog. You can only see as far as your headlights, but you can make the whole trip that way. <laughs> totally applicable Perfect. to our business. Well, y'all keep talking. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to write that down because that's really, that's really good. <laughs> Dang. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. 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 So basically like my side hustle in college was selling random outdoor gear on eBay. Cause that was, this is like 2003, 2004 when eBay was huge. Then I moved out to Colorado. I always wanted to be a detective. So at first I wanted to be an FBI agent, but then I actually talked to some agents and they actually recommended becoming a detective at a big city police department. So then I became, in 2006, I got on with the Denver police. So then, so I was like a full-on cop. And then my goal was to become a detective because after five years of being a cop, that's that's at which point you can move up and become a detective. Um, but did then you I was enjoy that experience? Like, I, I absolutely did. Like, it was a great career great job like i i really enjoyed it like i feel like i felt like i was like having a positive impact on society i liked the people i worked with i was really working hard but then what happened was in 07 when the economy crashed there was a huge budget shortage for the city so then they shuffled a couple of us guys youngest guys around and i went from working um downtown denver to working the airport from like 10 p.m to 6 a.m and there was nothing going on so i was going to be stuck there for the next year and i after a couple weeks i was just like this this isn't what i signed up for like i almost felt like i was like fleecing the public because i had gone from (laughs) providing great service towards society to just kind of like not doing anything and still making a good salary from it, you know? Mm. So, so I just flat out quit and I had seen this little opportunity to maybe, um, like buy and sell closeout and demo skis. And I just started doing it like one by one. Like I would go to like these local Denver sales or like go buy demos and buy like a pair of skis, go back, list on eBay 
sell it for barely more than I bought it for, then go the next day and buy two of them, sell those two, go buy three, four. And it just, it just, and it was that, it was that simple. It was that early on. I had, wow. Yeah. I had, I had no, you know, like I've always been like, like smart with money, but I didn't have like funding or some nest egg. Like I had a couple thousand dollars saved up. When I quit the police, I got like $4,000 in like, like retirement benefits that were set aside for retirement. But when you leave, you, you can, you get that paid out to you. So I had like $6,000 to start with. And, but, but that was for everything for my life, for, for rent, for this, for that. But yeah, I started just using, doing what I could and trying to be smart with it and selling, selling skis one by one. Now you guys were married at that time or no? No, I, so the week Jordan left the police was the same week that I graduated from college. And so then like within the next month, I moved to Colorado with your jobless boyfriend. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yep. I think your mom didn't like that. <laughs> yeah. Real winner. <laughs> oh man, that's so funny. That's I was in the same boat when my wife and I got together. I was full time bike touring and bike packing, and her dad was like, "Are you sure you want to go <laughs> take this guy?" <laughs> no, that's too funny. So, so, so then yeah. what? So you, so you're. You you move out there. Uh, I guess yeah. you are communicating about this plan, this idea. Then what? Yeah. So I think you know, I, in college, I studied econ and business, and I always wanted wanted to run a company. Like I always wanted to have my own business. And Jordan, you know, we, on these late night phone calls when I was still in Boston and he was out in Denver, um, he'd be like, you know, like just come out here and like you can you can build up the ski business and like, we'll do it and it'll be great. And I would oscillate on that being like, Oh, that sounds like really cool. But that sounds really bad. Like at that time, you know, when you're a senior in college, like all your friends are going to do things like grad school and they're going to become physical therapists. So they're like, they're going to have their PhD and it's like, and I'm going to move to Colorado and sell ski. Like it just didn't, I don't know. Like I took myself like way too seriously. And so hmm. I was oscillating on that. Um, and then um, I very briefly had a very terrible job in Denver. And um, when I graduated and like had to commute downtown and was just beholden to all these really dumb corporate policies and it didn't take long before I realized that like, I, I can't exist in this, <laughs> in this situation. And so then at that point, yeah, Jordan and I started working together. And yeah. That was a few months after I graduated and after he left the police. So then, yeah, we were running it out of our apartment and just figuring it out and totally just taking it one step at a time. It would be like, okay, we're on eBay now, but we need a website. How do we get a website? Okay, we can pay someone in India $20,000 to make a website for us. We don't have close to that much money, so we can buy these books and learn to code. Okay, let's buy these books. <laughs> let's <laughs> and so it was very much like, yeah, just one step at a time. And That's then, awesome. yeah. Mm -hmm. 
yeah, very quickly, we were in this like apartment, you know, like big apartment complexes, and uh, like <laughs> the the one by one skis quickly turned into like having like a hundred skis in stock, but they were in our the garage of our, our apartment. Yeah, our single car garage. <laughs> and it was so funny because like you know it's one of those big complexes where there's like so many rules, so a hundred percent against the rules to oh. operate a business in there. Oh yeah, and like. Yeah. So then we got to the point where like we couldn't even open the garage door because then someone would be like, "Why are there a hundred skis in there?" <laughs> <laughs> so we like. So yeah, there's really no good explanation. Like we love yeah. to ski. Like love to ski. <laughs> yeah. We have an addiction. Yeah. I need this. Yeah. I need this pair for that day. This pair for that day. <laughs> yeah. That is too funny. You know that isn't that funny? Like in the early days, how sneaky you have to be, and kind of how. Uh, you have to kind of get used to living in this state of breaking some sort of rule all the time and having like yeah. no ability or like liability coverage to, to fight it if someone ever brought it up. So you're just sneaking around, testing things out. No, I know exactly what that's like. That's so funny. Yeah. And even with brands, like, because we weren't a dealer and it's it's hard to become a dealer. So like we would, so like if I was buying new skis at like Snea grab because i knew i could sell them online you know i would go, go buy like these k2 skis and then like you know maybe months later the k the k2 rep who was totally cool but he'd be like hey what are you guys doing like how did you get these <laughs> skis what's going on you know <laughs> that's hilarious golly and so so where would you go to get them you'd go to other shops and and or to uh look on ebay yourself um, I'm not super familiar with the ski, uh, skis industry. Especially 10 years ago, like there would just be these crazy fall sales and like, I don't know if they would just massively overbuy and then just blow this stuff out, but they would sell these skis so cheap, like the Snee grab sale, um, a sale like that. I remember buying like these K2 Mamba mogul skis and they would just sell them for like 30 bucks at the sale. Then I could go on, like get them pictured. Like it was a lot of work to list them online, but you know, then I could go online and sell them for a hundred bucks and it was amazing, you know? So that's, that, was a big, I, that was the big Denver area, like sports authority yeah. sale. Mm, yeah. At like different locations in the Denver area. Um, yep. They would just have like this crazy tent sale and yeah. then kicked off around Labor Day, but it kind of went, it went into the fall, right? I mean, yeah. yeah. And it was it, one, th one thing I think about with businesses, it's like, I think it's so much easier to start one when you're in your 20s because like, you know, if the one I just described was like an outlier, but like normally it's like I'd buy them for like 70 bucks, sell it online for a hundred, pay this fee, pay that fee, pay for shipping. And then I made, you know, you make like 15 bucks, but that's why it's kind of great to do it in your twenties. That's your windfall. Fifteen bucks is like, oh my goodness, it'll pay for Chipotle tonight. Like this is amazing, you know. Right, right. Whereas, you know, you hit your thirties and you have like such higher expectations. You've got like this expense, that expense. You know, paying for healthcare, paying for this, paying for that. So to me, the twenties when you're in your twenties, you don't know that much, but it's actually a great time yeah, to start. You're so business. easy to please. Like just yep. yeah, anything is a win. And you're, you kind of get away with like, oh, I'm just young, don't know what I'm doing yet. Like, you know, forgive me a little bit if I don't do something totally correct or I don't know. Yeah. I totally get that. Yeah. Right. I, I, I think you're absolutely right. A little more forgiveness. 
I mean, yeah. when we first started, it was kind of like, let's just do this for a year and we'll see what happens. And I think having that too, to just be like, okay, like after a year, we'll reevaluate. And I mean, a year came and went and we never really reevaluated. It was just like, yeah, this is going well. Like we're having fun, but we're obviously going to keep doing it. But it was almost like, just like, okay, if this isn't going well in a year, we give ourselves permission to go do yeah. something else. Talking about having fun. I'm eating a cinnamon bun, so let me know if you can hear me chewing. Oh, no, Jordan, you can't yet. eat a cinnamon bun while you're being interviewed. Yes. Oh my. No, I, I right next to my feet are two dogs. They sleep all day in my office, so um, I do. I usually tell people like, "Hey, you know, if UPS shows up at the house, they're gonna go crazy." Oh so yeah, I'll have to yeah. mic the uh, shut off the mic for a second, but. Uh, they're just chilling right now, so they're pretty silent. Nice. So, so yeah, you you grow it to the so so you're operating out of your apartment, and, and you give it a year. It's going well. Um, yeah, the apartment was only for a few months. Okay. Then we moved to a warehouse. Yeah, oh, after like quickly. three months. Oh, awesome! Yeah. Awesome. So, what was what was the biggest challenge to face for y'all in breaking into this like used ski? in online e-commerce industry um because there probably wasn't a ton of like uh probably wasn't a guidebook written for it you you were probably trailblazing a a lot of in a lot of ways especially at the time yeah yeah totally what was the biggest challenge maybe maybe i think we were well nah because we're nerdy and that came actually pretty easy but like I think the hardest part was almost the benefit of our youth was that we could do things. And, you know, if we made 15 bucks, it was fine. But I think also since we were so young, I felt like this, maybe especially like being a female, like I just felt like we weren't taken seriously. So when it came time to actually like make industry connections, I, we were shot down a lot. Um, when we first really tried to get, relationships with brands to carry inline product I just remember them being like we'll talk next year and they kind of had this like way of saying it where they totally didn't believe we would be around in a year um so I felt like it was maybe a little bit hard for people to take us seriously and then also since we were online at that time we didn't have a, a brick and mortar shop that came later so being online people were really leery of that they the ski industry was slow to welcome e-commerce. And so they were like, oh, you're online. No, you can't. You can't carry our products. We don't do we don't do e-commerce. Why do, you, why do you think that is? Is it because the gear is so specialized to each person? Yeah. And I think in a way, I mean, that's good. And I respect the industry for that um, because it, it didn't become a free for all of just like a million different places having gear online and being blown out at really low prices. So in a way that's allowed us to thrive once we were able to, br- to break into it. But um, yeah, I think it was a little bit old school and I think it is that specialty sports mindset of, Hey, like we have these mom and shop mom and pop shops at ski areas and like the, the brands remain loyal to those shops and they were worried about, these like young idiots in Denver coming in and you know buying products from them and then blowing them out on their website they didn't know that we had the integrity to not do that so it took a lot of patience on our part to just like year after year 
ask to try to break into that. And eventually we did. And, and those relationships have been really great, but it, it was really nice that those first few brands took the leap of faith with us and then, yeah, trusted us. You know, the, now, do you think you'd have an easier time if you were to approach them today, kind of in that same position, uh, just the way the world's changed? What do you think, Jordan? Um, I say that because, like, one thing that no one ever thought was glasses yeah. and shoes you would buy literally online, right. and it's shipped to your house, try them on, if they don't fit, ship them back, yeah. get another pair. Like, that is a legit billion, billions of dollars in both industries right now which is something right, right. I think intuitively no one would have ever thought. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, right. It was still just like just starting out, right? Yeah, I don't know. Um, it's tough. And like I can see where brands are coming from because it's like they want to be able to partner with the right people and choose their partners. Like they don't have to sell through everyone, you know? So they want to protect their brand um, as they should, you know? So, yeah, because you need to prove. I definitely see both sides. Yeah, yeah, the product support side, right? Because it's not just about selling the pair of skis. So as we've grown, I think we've really in- increased our like customer support and like we can really guide you to the right pair of skis and we can really help you through the purchase and coach you through it and help you once you've received them and I don't know, just kind of like be there every step of the way. So I think that has definitely like been to our advantage now, like to Jordan's point of yeah, like Vocal and Kesley and Armada, they don't want just every single Target and Walmart and Amazon selling their products because that those places can't deliver on the support end of it. They don't know yeah. skiing the way specialty retailers do. Mm. Yeah. So, so and, I think, and like and they yeah. want people that know what they're talking about. So like mm-hmm. we're huge at Power Seven on like having our staff know what they're talking about. So we'll mount like like a hundred skis every season, current year skis, just so our staff can ski it and know what they're talking about. So if a customer comes in and it's like, you know, the Rosignol Soul 7 HD, like, what do you think of that? It can be like, oh yeah, I skied that last week. And here's how that compares to this ski. How that, here's how that compares to this ski. Here's how that compares if you're a heavier guy, a lighter guy. So time for a quick message break. So you know that this show is brought to you by Camp Crate, and you hear that name quite a bit, but you might not know exactly what it is. Basically, Camp Crate is the bridge between people who want to have a backpacking experience but don't have gear and don't know where to start with planning. Um, They're extremely helpful. They'll rent you the gear, and they ship it right to your front door. Uh, If you just have friends that are already going, but you just are tagging along, but you don't have your own stuff, or you have gear, but really don't know where to go, uh, they can help you with all that. So go to campcrate.net or send them an email at support at campcrate.net. Their whole mission is that you get in the backcountry and you have an awesome time on a self-guided adventure. Back to the episode. Do you find that challenging to kind of give off that mom and pop vibe to your e-commerce department? when people are ordering online, do you do anything to help it feel more like an intimate experience like that? That's a great question. Cause we, we struggle with that because like our biggest competitors are owned by like, like private equity companies. Like it's been a long time since they were kind of owned by 
mom or pop or a person or mm, something like that. Okay. And like, and, and private equity is fine. Like, I'm, I'm not a hater of big business, but it's kind of like we try to compete against them. And, and I respect them. They like they're good companies. They do a good job. But you know, we compete against them. And then yeah, we do have trouble communicating. Like, hey, like we're we're a family business. Amy and I own still own 100 percent of it. You know, and it's and like oh, interesting. So yeah, it, it, yeah, Congrats. yeah. It's, it, it, but it is thanks. But it's yeah, tough. it's hard to <laughs> yeah yeah. I know, and it's but it is hard to communicate that. You know. Yeah, that's something that we're kind of always working on with our branding and messaging is is getting that across and not feeling like too like hokey with it, you know, yeah. come across the other way. But I think too, like we do that in subtle ways. Like when you call, there's no phone tree. There's no, you know, oh, you need somebody in our ski department. Like you call, you immediately speak to a real person everybody here is the ski department. So on a super busy day, like it might mean that Jordan or I answers the phone and we're answering questions. And that's really rare these days, but it, it does still happen. So we always like we have those really personal connections in all of our touch points. It's not hard to, to get to a, a real person with us. Um, I think that helps with email too. Wow. So, so you know, and it is seasonal. Um, what do, what do you guys do in the off season? What does that look like for powder seven? I mean, it goes way down, but at least like the off seasons. Yeah. The off seasons, like it's, it is shorter than you think because especially in Colorado, people start getting myself included amped up even as early as like August, people are starting to get amped up. Maybe there's like the first little bits of snow falling on the mountains. And then, you know, all the way through April, you can ski. Um, yeah, right. Yeah. So, you know, if, in may so so then you know the months that aren't included in that are really like may june july so it's actually like you know it's actually not that short of a total real off season and we're still open um but it's a good time to like we're as a company we're huge on like always improving so it's actually a good thing because it gives us time as a company to be like all right like what were our weak points last season what do we have to improve this season all right we've got well, you know, we've got four months to work on this. So let's, let's get cranking on it to figure out a better way to do it next year. So have you seen other companies like you pop up over the last few years as they see maybe your success? Um, I'd say similar, but always different. Yeah. There's like similar, but always different. And like, it is, it is a big enough industry that like, I don't know, there's, there's space for, for multiple people to. Yeah. Plenty of fish in the sea. Yeah. yeah, yeah, right. And, and like, I don't view us as just like I was saying before, like, I don't view us as just having like one target market or business model. It's like, you know, we sell like the current year full full price stuff if you want the latest, greatest. Um, and then, yeah, last year's stuff at a discount or the demos. We also do like clothing, helmets, goggles, boots. So like so there's and shop services, tunes, mounts. So we try to cover a lot of angles, you know, like whatever we see demand for, like whatever we try to listen to our customers closely. So if people are asking for something, then we try to provide it to them. That, that kind of gives us a lot, a lot of reach through the years. So, so let me ask you guys this both individually. Um, I like to ask this for every uh, life outside the box interview that we do, which is what this kind of business and lifestyle series is about. Um, 
currently where the company's at and, and getting it to this point, what what's something that's for you, maybe if you had anxiety starting out, what's something that came pretty naturally, seemed pretty easy, came really easy, and then something that's been surprisingly difficult to get to where it is and that it's a constant challenge for you? Oh, man, that's a good question. <laughs> Jordan, Sorry, you go a little, little heavy there. <laughs> but, okay. <laughs> I don't, no, I I don't I got... want you to like think too much i just like to see what comes easy and a lot of people are like you know it's like the customer service aspect and where something that's difficult is yeah yeah i don't know something random taxes or yeah yeah you know, I think, the uh, seasons i don't know yeah i think what's like comes kind of naturally to amy and i is like systems and processes so we like we we coded our entire website so like i love coding i spend half my time, at least on web development. I enjoy operations like half figuring your out time. shipping. Yeah, yeah. Like at least. now, half your time? Still, I've been doing it ten, over a decade now. Well, I, I guess that your your website is probably your biggest, uh, biggest storefront as far as yeah, most people see that versus your brick and yep. mortar. So yeah. Absolutely. Mm, okay. yep. And even if you come into our shop, we we do have stuff on display, but we will like shop the website with you and bring you the stuff that you're seeing on the website to check out in person. But that's like you know if you check out, we check out on the website. Um, so yeah, so like operation stuff is probably what came most natural. I always think the hardest one is like like we we have such a high standard to keep our customers and staff happy and like. Like, like, I feel like we we have done a great job at that. Like, we were on Outside Magazine's Best Places to Work the last two years. Um, we get great customer feedback. Wow, but, that's awesome. Yeah, but, like, but it's always something that, like, it's it always feels like a, a challenge every day because you, you never want to lose that, and you just always want to maintain that because, you know, without that, I feel like you don't have a business. If, if your customers aren't happy and your staff isn't happy. So that's, I feel like that's always like a daily thing to be like, all right, are we doing this? Are we doing that in regards to that? What do you think, Amy? Yeah, no, I think you're, you're totally right. Um, I think, yeah, part of me that has always been drawn to business is just, I like things to be organized. I like systems, um, having everything in its place. Um, yeah, I think, I think that's, that's what's been fun and that's what has made things successful. Um, I think also the part of the part of the business that's come most easily and maybe most important is just like digging in our heels and like being gritty and, you know, just sticking, sticking with our idea. Um, we've definitely been told it's a dumb idea along the way. And, and luckily we never listened to that, but I don't know. I think especially in the early years, the, the grit was really important. And so I don't think you can discount that, but also, you know, knowing when something is, is a bad idea, like Jordan's super good at that of being like, this isn't working. Like we briefly, we've sold paddle boards. Um, and then we were able to look at that and be like, this doesn't make any sense. Um, so coming to that like logical conclusion, I think, um, is, is kind of in the wheelhouse I would say definitely for Jordan, he's like the king of logic. Um, and I guess a little bit for me too. Um, we are good at separating passion and logic in order to make good decisions. 
Um, the hard part, yeah, I guess is just like always feeling like I'm doing enough. Like one of the things I hated about being in school was that I always felt like, well, maybe I could, I could study another hour. I could work a little bit harder. Um, and I feel like that a lot with powder seven where it's like, I don't know, it's hard for me, especially now, like we have two little kids. And so I spend a lot of time, like I divide my time between being there for them and being there for powder seven. And I always have this like guilt and that's kind of been the hardest thing for me is to manage this like fine line of, am I doing, am I doing enough at powder seven? Like, am I contributing enough? And yeah, am I working on the right things and managing that time? I think especially in the recent years, that's been the hardest. That is a very tough balance. And, you know, there's, there's people at the, at the top of so many companies that feel that pressure to find mm-hmm. that balance that never really seem to do not, in a, not in a negative way, but just it's, it's a constant, it's a constant gardening of, uh, it's mm-hmm. just, that's what it takes. And that's the, the, it is, it is a worthwhile pursuit though. And no, I can definitely understand that. So, so, with that, what do you what do you want to see Powder Seven do in the future? What are your hopes for Powder Seven? Your your big dreams of what it could be? Is it there? Is it exactly what you have now, or is it something more or less? I feel like it's pretty close. What do you think, Amy? Yeah, I um, I definitely think like I can't imagine really anything being much better than this. Most days. Like, I feel like I have to pinch myself. Like, this seems crazy. I know that's so cliche to say, but I mean, the fact that I was a little kid who was like so into the outdoors and so into um, like wanting so desperately to be into skiing, um, but also like so into my little like uh, sidewalk stand lemonade and like bead bracelet shops that like I just feel like it's the nexus of these two things that I. I love um, like business and sports and then to get to do it with like Jordan is just, it just doesn't seem like it could be real. So I think I can't imagine anything much better than this. And there's like a few like small things, like nice to have things that would be great to have when we grow, but I'm also totally satisfied with where we are right now. Yeah, we're very into organic growth, so we don't have like a sales goal of, oh, let's try to increase this next year. I'm, I'm really not all about that at all. So it's it's more like we're about just improving from year to year, and then, hey, if we grow as a result of that, that's awesome. If not, that's that's fine, as long as we're improving. But I also feel like it's not just a business. It's like our personal lives, like Amy and I next year will be the last year where Alistair, our firstborn son will not be in like the school system. So he's still in preschool next year. So it's almost like, Oh, maybe we should go to Revelstoke for a month in January. You know, like we, we never got to do that. Like I've always kind of wanted to live in a ski town a little bit and maybe, maybe there's our last chance to kind of go do that for like a month. Yeah. Because then so, he's going to be in school, you know, and then our younger son will be shortly behind that. So, 
yeah, the freedom that it allows us to travel and to fulfill our other personal passions has just been so, so cool. I feel so lucky. And we work a mile from home. So our commute is non-existent. It's like, it's a dream. You you know just how uh, everything is aligned so well and not not yeah. to discount hard work. So how much of it do you think has been luck and how much do you think it's been uh, <laughs> hard work? I guess hard work always creates luck. So it's hard to yeah. separate the two. It is hard. Um, yeah, I feel like we I feel like we've had a lot of luck on our side. Like yeah, we, we've definitely. And yeah, and when we started, like I, it'd be a lot harder to start an online business now. I think because like there's already established businesses doing it. Whereas when we started, there really wasn't that. It was like it was new, so it was kind of like open for some new people to come in and to do it. Whereas I think it's harder now. Um, yeah, yeah, in 2007, the internet felt old, but in actuality, it was still frontier days, I think. Yep. Oh, now yeah. it's getting harder um, because it's anybody can throw up a website in, in an hour. You know, it's super easy. You can go and you can create an online store. There's so many ready-built platforms. And we didn't have that luxury in 2007. Uh, so I think that made us think about all the other like choices we had to make that much more as well. Um, I'm glad we started when we did. <laughs> and I'm glad that you had to do it the way you did it because, you know, I just heard, I write down a lot of quotes that I hear on, on this show. And this guy I just interviewed last week, he was saying, you know, he feels bad for people that have it so easy because they just don't, they'll, they'll never build those skills to carry them through to those next steps. You know, you can, yeah. Throw on a Shopify, you know, platform exactly. in an hour, like you said, but you know, within a month you've given it up and you've moved on to something else. Whereas y'all yeah. spend night after night coding, you know, you're sticking with that thing for a while and you get to see the success blossom. That's yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's totally it. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes challenges are a wonderful stroke of luck. So having the challenge of having it having to build the website ourselves has turned into a great thing, you know. That's mm -hmm. awesome. So you know, I, I, I'm going to let y'all go. Um, but as you, as we go, what, what's something that you would just share, uh, with someone that's, that's in y'all's position as they are just getting out of school or just getting started. Maybe they just retired and they want to do something new. What, what's your advice quickly as, uh, for pursuing something like this? Um, I would say, especially if you're starting something new that no one before you has done, don't listen to anybody else's advice because no one's walked, no one's walked in your shoes before. Um, we received a lot of terrible advice um, from people in the very beginning, but we stuck to our guns. And they were people that we respected, um, but the people that we that loved us and were the most helpful were the ones that really just let us find our own path. So just carve your own path and don't be afraid to do that and to do something different. And I'd say just grind and plug away <laughs> and be gritty. Like to me, it's a lot like being an athlete, like you're like running. It's like, you're not going to improve that much that quickly. It's just the nature of the sport. And you got to grind away for years and like put in hundreds of miles to improve a couple seconds. And business is oftentimes the same way. You just got to like, figure out something that works a little bit and then just grind away at it to, to make it really work. 
both of those excellent advice. Um, man, well, congrats on what you've built so far. I'm excited to see, uh, what it'll become and what it'll continue to be. Um, it's really awesome. And I actually, I'd love yeah. to swing by sometime and take a look. It's, yeah, uh, thank you. We'd it. love to have you come on by. All right. Are you a coffee? Are you a yeah, coffee sure. drinker? Sure, I'll make you I, coffee. I, well, as y'all have been talking, I've been sipping on coffee. So I love <laughs> <right>. coffee. <laughs> Come by one morning. I, I love, I like, we got an awesome coffee machine. So some mornings Sweet. I'll make coffee Kirk, for our customers and I can definitely make one for you. All right. Awesome. Well, yeah. Uh, yeah th- well, thanks for being on. This is a, this has been fantastic. Yeah. yeah thanks, thank Mason. You. All right. Well, Enjoy I, the I'll, opportunity. Yep. Thanks. Hey, thank you so much for listening. If you know somebody that would make a good guest on the show, or if you have a pretty cool story about the outdoors or adventure sports that you want to tell us, please call us and leave a voicemail at 812-MAIL-POD. That is 812-624-5763. You can also send us an email at info at adventuresportspodcast.com. Uh, Again, it is always helpful to leave us a review on iTunes. And if you'd like to be a supporter of the show, you can give five bucks a month at patreon.com slash adventure sports podcast. And links for all that stuff is also in the show notes. So thanks again for listening. And y'all get out there and do something so you can be on the show one day. All right, later. Also, don't forget, if you want to save 20% off the best backpacking food on planet Earth, go to peakrefuel.com and at checkout, use the code ASP20.